The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group, where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. And this is Truth Time, and I am Pastor Monty, and welcome today to uh, a very active discussion as we're going to be covering a lot of, uh, well, fascinating topics, and uh, indeed, I hope you're sitting down because you need to be. Um, we're going we're gonna to open our discussion we're coming out of Scripture in the Christ sector. We are continuing our discussion of uh, looking at what Scripture has to say in particular about Christianity and about the importance of understanding that if we are to take on the, the uh, moniker of Christianity, uh, then we need to understand what Scripture details Christianity to be. And, um, you know, we, I've talked before, and you know that I, I tend to prefer the uh, disciple of Christ as a descriptor for my personhood in Christ. Nonetheless, the world around us uses the word Christianity uh, and, and the branding of that word has been, uh, well, it's not too good at this point. It, there's lots of people that claim to, to represent Christ uh, as, as, they, as that they uh, are Christians, and uh, they are not. So let's go ahead. We've been talking about the importance of understanding what Scripture has to say. Last week we talked uh, a little bit about, um, you know, just understanding that... Uh, Christianity is Christ-likeness, and that that cannot be underemphasized. That as as disciples of Christ, we have a responsibility as much as possible to live our life in such a manner that Jesus Christ be glorified, and and to uh, and to lift up the name of Christ through 
how it is that we talk, through how it is that we walk, through how it is that we think, uh, through uh, everything that we do, uh, we need to try to be cognizant and aware that uh, we are a witness uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the fact that uh, Scripture uh, presents that um, Christianity is ruling with Christ in heavenly places. Christianity is ruling with Christ in heavenly places. Kind of an interesting uh, position uh, that the Apostle Paul takes, but um, it's good for us to know that the influence that we have as those who are disciples of Christ is broader than just the temporal world in which we live in. And because of that, again, as we're cognizant of how it is that we live, then um, our prayer life is going to reflect that in how it is that we pray as well. But there has to be a mental understanding of what's taking place. So if you turn to Ephesians, for example, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul opens up his letter to the church at Ephesus with this word. He said, Blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and that takes it a little more than just the physical. There is a, a group of people out there that, that would promote that um, ask anything that you will in the name of God and it'll be given to you and, uh, and your temporal life in Christ is going to be blessed because you are a child of God. These people uh, carry what is known theologically as a prosperity theology. But the Apostle Paul makes clear as he starts out in this discussion that we really shouldn't be that concerned with the physical. We need, of course, to take care of the mundane tasks like, you know, making a living, taking care of our responsibilities, being good stewards of our body, um, you know, all of those types of things. But really, our focus should be upon the development of our spiritual nature and what's happening in the spiritual world. And so the Apostle Paul emphasizes that, reminding us that we have blessings even in the spiritual places. Look at uh, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, he says this. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Uh, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So what, what, what's the Apostle Paul really talking about here? Well, what he's talking about is the fact that as, as uh, believers... We need to understand that positionally, we have an ear. Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, we have the ear of Christ as we approach spiritual issues in the life that we live. And so that gives us the power and ability to be able to deal with some of the things that we have to deal with in, in all the things that happen in life. And so um, 
the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that's the case. Now, I've kind of said a mouthful here. You want to add anything? Um, not, no, not too much. I was wondering, it's not, it's not so much in the teaching um, section of this, but I was wondering if you had heard about Benny Hinn. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of Benny Hinn. No, not are you aware of Benny Hinn. I mean, have you heard about Benny Hinn renouncing the prosperity gospel? Uh, no, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah, um, okay, well, good for Benny. Yeah. It, it only just... took 30 or 40 years for him to come to his senses. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you had thoughts on that, because it, you know, it obviously plays, plays into this, you know. I, I have no thought on that, except, as I have said, in the reality of life in looking at the ministry of Benny Hinn, that scripture tells us in a number of different places, but in the book of James, for example, that those who are teachers are held to a higher standard. And Benny Hinn, whether he's saved or not, that's a separate issue. But he seeks to represent Jesus Christ, and he for years uh, promoted a false gospel and a false narrative. Yeah. Well, I mean, Paul did the same thing, right? Paul did not promote a false gospel once confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ. Sure. This is this is what he uh this is what he said. Let me skip forward here. Okay. Pretty Praise interesting. The Lord for that. I mean, that's good. Maybe he was brought under some serious conviction. Pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 I'll post this clip so people can look at it. Okay. Yeah. No, definitely one proponent of uh, prosperity theology and the selling of the gospel. And he will stand, I would say, um, again, that's, that's in the hands of the Lord. Yeah. But let's be very clear that those people that have positions of authority inside of the body of Christ as ministers of the gospel of Christ, they will answer a higher authority 
not a higher authority, but they uh, will answer yeah, to a higher, to a higher yeah. standard for how it is that they represent Christ and how it is they affect the spiritual growth of people who are under their tutelage. Right. Yeah, it's no, it's it's uh, it's a severe thing to take into account. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the um, so the Apostle Paul when he's talking about this idea of understanding our position in Christ that we are in the heavenlies with Him, what he's really talking about, as far as I see it and understand it, he's really talking about the importance of understanding our position for the power of prayer and for our ability to affect things around us that Jesus Christ and his kingdom might be glorified. Uh, Look at John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus says it this way. This is is Jesus actually speaking, and I know it's Jesus speaking because this is a red-letter Bible. Mm, It makes it easy. It it, it helps. What's the verses? Uh, 12 through 14. Okay. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that uh, will I do, and the Father may be glorified, that the Father may be glorified uh, in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, (laughs) kind of of an interesting segue here that where people tend to focus, and again, we've spent just a tiny bit of time on the issue of prosperity theology. But Jesus himself told us whatever we ask in his name, he will do. And that's kind of where people leave it. They leave it there, and they don't read what follows in his thought afterwards, where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hey, I have a clarifying question uh, sure. from uh, John. Uh, John John P. Uh, it says, uh, sorry, uh, let me look at it. Can you clarify? Here it is. Um can you clarify what heavenly places are? I think he's speaking to Ephesians 1, 3, where, where it says heavenly realms, basically spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms because we're united in Christ. Right, right. Well, I think uh, from my understanding here, what, what the Apostle Paul is reminding us here is that we don't live just on a temporal level, John. But there are, there are realms which, are, are, which we are surrounded by where... Um, we don't have the perception of knowing that they're active except in limited circumstances, and yet we are. So um, what I understand from study of Scripture and understanding spiritual things, (laughs) excuse me, Scripture does indicate that there are all kinds of spiritual things going on around us and that there are angelic beings that surround us, both those that represent uh, Christ in protection of the body of Christ and those that represent the evil that Satan would do as he roams this earth seeking whom he might devour. So part of what he's doing here is he's helping the church to understand, first of all, that, that these heavenly realms 
which do exist, it's not a myth, it's not an urban myth, they do exist, and that the church needs to be cognizant that Jesus Christ is, is dominant over all creation, including those angels that run around in the heavenly realms. And so the Jesus Christ is about doing the will of the Father. So God has a specific plan. He has a specific work that he's seeking to carry out. And it all starts in understanding that as Jesus sits at the right hand of God, as, as he, the church is working towards glorifying him, that we can help to deal with the spiritual battles in which we're engaged in by understanding that uh, we uh, work in concert with the will of God to bring these things about. Yeah. I, I mean, does that help a little bit? I think the focus on this passage is um, definitely in showing that there is something more than the physical world. And then on top of there being something more than the physical world, that we, as we come into adoption um, through Christ into the family of God, that we receive, that we basically receive the blessings of the world that we can't see. Right. Um, which is why it works so heavily in the prosperity gospel. Um, well, which is why there's such an emphasis in the prosperity gospel on, um, well, John Parker says, you can say my last name. Um, uh <laughs> which is why there's such an emphasis in the prosperity gospel on receiving blessings. But the thing is, is that those blessings are not physical. That's why there's a distinction in the, in the heavenly realm. That's not to say we don't see, receive physical blessings, but, but um, the blessings that we receive particularly are the spiritual ones. Like for instance, eternal life, Mm -hmm. Um, power in power in heaven to reign with Christ. Um, the blessing of of, uh, of uh, the outworking of our godliness into the physical life as we become sp- as we yeah. have a, a cohesive spiritual life. Yeah, the the blessing of sanctification. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and some of that uh, you have to understand that there's a there's a reaping and harvesting process, and a lot of that because we live primarily as physical beings um, right now. In, in a physical world that is fallen, we don't get to experience the blessings that, you know, that clearly Adam had before he sinned. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't experience the harvest of the blessings until we live in a world that is remade and physically is restored to what it's supposed to be. Right. So, and that's why the, that's why there's an important difference between the prosperity gospel and what the gospel actually teaches. And and the Apostle Paul, remember that in in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul was specifically dealing with the emphasis of the the physical. Right. And and, uh, all the stuff that went on at the temple worship, uh, the Temple of Diana and and the sexual orgies and all those types of things. So he's trying to draw the understanding of the church to the fact that we have position in the spiritual realms because Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. And as we are in him, so he is in us. But note in in the book of John, chapter 14, we just read, 
Jesus puts this interesting little statement on after he says that whatever we ask in his name, he will do. Right. Bring He's, it back. Yeah, he, he says, you know, um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's not that we can ask God and he has to do, and this is where theology, the, the prosperity theology falls apart. There are people out there who tell you that you can command God. Please command God. You, you, don't, you, you, you clearly don't understand the work of Christ on the cross and your position in Christ because of his shed blood if you think you can command God. What is being stated in Scripture here is that as believers, if we love Christ, we will keep his commandments. And his commandments are those which are always going to direct us towards bringing glory and honor and praise to the Father uh, with uh, whom he represents. Yeah, I think we, we always have to be careful when we read passages like this to understand. And the, if you love me, you will keep my commandments is a, um, that, that statement by Jesus is sort of the, um, what would it be? An indicator for us to who the previous statement applies to. Yes. So the whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, right? That's a statement where Christ says, this is what I'm going to do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments is a statement about who he is going to do that for. That's right. And I think that that's a really important thing because it's not the action. You notice, uh, yes, love is a verb, but there's the the personal nature of love that can really only be verified between the individual and God, right? And so God is the only one who really knows the intent of a person's heart. And um, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Well, this is this is a statement about the intent of a person's heart. It's not the statement about the action of asking in Jesus' name. Jesus' name is not magic. That's correct. And I think that's a thing, you know, that's a thing that's, you know, being thrown around. Even in even in uh, early New Testament times, that's what, like, Simon Magus, right? Simon right, the Magician right. was yeah. trying to invoke the name of Jesus like it was right. this magical incantation. The, the key here is not that by invoking the name of Jesus, somehow you can get whatever you want in his name. The key here is that if you love him, which is witnessed by keeping his commandments, right. not by saying his name and not by identifying with him, right. then, then you will, then he will do what you ask of him. But here's the catch. Because you love him, the only things you will ask of him is what you would know that he would be okay with. Exactly. Because a person that you love you're not going to ask a person that you actually love to violate their character. Right. And so here you have these moments like in scripture, like in the old Testament, for instance, where Moses asks God to stay the hand of execution on the Jewish people. Right. And so it may look as if God changes his mind and perhaps in real time and space, you could say that he changed his mind, but he didn't change his character. Right. Moses asks God to stay within the character that he has, um, presented himself in. And so that's the thing. You can't ask God to go outside of his character 
And what that statement is saying is if you do, then you probably don't love him. And you can tell that by whether you keep his commandments. Exactly, exactly. And that's a wonderful segue into the last passage that uh, I'll read as we close this section. It's found in 1 John. For those of you who are still learning how to read your Bible, 1 John is before 2 and 3 John. Never gets... <laughs> never gets old. Yes, no, it doesn't. Never uh, never gets exciting. <laughs> First John chapter 5. Yeah, First John chapter 5, verses uh, 14 and 15 is exactly what uh, Josh and I are talking about. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So what is it that we are asking? We are asked according to his will. How do you right. know the will of God? But that you saturate yourself in him and that you love him accordingly and you love what his will is to be. Listen, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and I'm not I, I want it understood within the context that we just talked about, okay? God only answers his own prayers. Hmm. God only answers his own prayers. You mean positively? Well, I mean he, and what that means is is that we, when we pray, need to pray according to his will. Yeah. And understand what his will is. And so when we look at our prayer life and we look at before going before the Lord, we need to make sure that we pray in such a fashion that we understand we are making a request because we believe that it is within his will. But if it's not within his will, we're okay with that. Look at how Jesus himself set that example. Even submissive. Yeah. Not yeah, just yeah. okay. Like that like whatever you want is good. Yeah, no, no. Like when, when he was in the garden. He said, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Take it away from me. I don't want to do this. But he wants the Father's will to be done. And so when we look at uh, circumstances that people are in on a daily basis where people have cancer and they have various things going on, you know, and we're praying for God's healing uh, in the physical life of an individual, there are times when God heals a person or backs off the aggressiveness of the disease that's inflicting their bodies, and there are times when he takes that individual and we sometimes scratch our head and want to ask the question why. But as believers, our first and foremost desire is to be submissive to his will. And if we have submitted in prayer to him our supplications in submission to his will, then we will rejoice either way in what happens uh, in the life of this individual we're praying for. It's... Uh, I know that's hard. I know that's hard. I've been there. I know it. But that is what Scripture gives us an indication of how we're to proceed. Yeah. And the extent of that is across the board. So when we say you, that you would give thanks, you would rejoice, either way, what we're saying is, yeah, even if that path 
includes things that are uncomfortable or even nasty for you. Mm-hmm. And you have to take that into consideration. And people don't, for for all intents and purposes, people don't, um, they don't believe it when it applies, when the nasty side applies. Right. You know, right. when when you when you go through life and bad things happen to you, the tendency is to blame God when the bad things happen rather than to praise God when the right. bad things happen. Right. And that's a really, it's a very mature thing to do that takes a lot of effort on your part. But if you can get past feeling that you are entitled to your definition of what is good for you and understand that you are, as we talked about on Sunday, an unstable narrator that doesn't understand the whole picture of everything that's going on, then you you will live a much much better, much more fulfilling life and have a much better relationship with God. The truth is, is that we don't want to be the ones who are narrating our own story. And we don't want to be the people that are um, responsible for defining where every possible thread of our life goes. Mm -hmm. Because that is an impossible burden to bear, to to be able to say what's going to happen 20 years from now because you ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich versus a turkey sandwich, you know? Wow. Yes. I mean, that's what it happens, no, you know? Yeah, no, a butterfly yeah, fla- yeah. flaps its wings in China and a hurricane ensues across the world. Yeah. And we don't want to be responsible for that. And so vice versa, to on our end, to say, you know, that something that something bad happened and therefore it's bad, but... Who knows what that bad thing is going to do in your life that's going to be good in the future? Like, that is too much of a burden to bear. And it's, quite frankly, uh, hugely hubristic to -hmm. think that you know the outcome of these things. It's, you know. No, exactly. You're you're absolutely correct. And, 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 you know, I want to make it clear that, that what the reason Josh and I present this is because we want you to have a mature understanding in in the in the com- comprehensiveness of your theology. There's so many believers running around out there that their 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 theology is not comprehensive, and because of that, um, they they do irreparable damage to the body. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a little while. Let's go ahead and close this section. Yeah, can I just can I just say, yeah. like, don't get me wrong. Neither of us are saying that you can't feel bad. Clearly, Jesus felt bad in the midst of what he had to bear. Sure, and it wasn't any fun at all. Yeah, his capillaries were bursting yeah. because he felt so bad. Like, without even having been without having gone through the torture that he was about to go through, right. he was feeling so bad that the stress caused his capillaries to burst. Right. So with that said, like, but the scripture even gives us that. It gives us um, the Psalms, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important like, to understand scripture, the, the burden that's placed upon us, according to scripture, is a burden which is heavy, in terms of the implications of it, in terms of even um, the gravity of it, but it's also light in terms of um, in terms of the fact that we don't go it alone, and um, and that we have like hope in it, and we have recourse in it, and we have 
a whole bunch of people in Scripture, the longest book of the Bible, I believe. We have a whole bunch of people in Scripture who have gone through these burdens, who have come to God, and they've essentially lamented how difficult it is going through these things. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, we can read and pull through the pour through the theology sections when we're going through difficult things, you know, and read about the theology of how God works. Sometimes maybe go back to the Old Testament and read the Psalms and read how people cried out to God when they were in the midst of the struggles because sometimes knowing the theology of it isn't as important as having people to go through it with. And you have these people who are part of the invisible church that went through these things, um, oftentimes that are way worse than what we go through, especially mm -hmm. in America, mm -hmm. um, who have like poured their heart out to God and God saw fit to record that. And he recorded it, it for our benefit. So go back and read the Psalms if you're having a hard time. And I guarantee you that you will find people who are crying out to God in a way that's respectful. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and, and I would just throw in as, as we close this section that... that uh, the Holy Spirit provides through the body of Christ those that are specifically equipped to cry with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about cultural insanity. So we've been defining uh, the different words that are out there and thrown around within our culture today to help you have a an understanding of really what's at the heart what, of some of these What was words. last week's? Last week's was um <laughs> you would you would do that. I would ask yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember yeah. either. Does anybody else yeah. remember? Yeah you would you would do that to me. Um we'll come it'll come to mind. You'll okay. To yeah. That. Feel uh, free to post it if you guys uh <laughs> remember also. <laughs> today Today we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, two phobias, which are constantly thrown around. Oh, this will be fun! And uh, oh yeah, it'll be a blast. So we're gonna talk about uh, homophobia and uh, xenophobia. Interesting. So xena or xeno? <laughs> xenophobia. Fear fear of Lucy well, Lawless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna talk about that. <laughs> so so um, the. These road, these words are thrown around. Let's talk about homophobia to begin with. The definition of homophobia is that you are afraid of um, uh, homosexuals. That's the that's the textbook definition. That a person who is homophobic is afraid of homosexuals. And I guess I want to lay a little bit of a foundation for dealing with these things because there's more at stake than you think. Um, if you are, so if you're a believer and you're um, talking about um, your reaction to some of the things that are going on in our culture and you say to somebody, you're microaggression. Yep, yes, micro that's what it was, microaggression. Yes, yes, Sorry, guys. No, it's okay. So if. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you're talking with somebody about uh, homosexuality and the the cultural revolution of sexuality that we're going through in these days, and you state the biblical position nine times out of ten, unless it is also a believer that you're dealing with, nine times out of ten, there's going to be the, an assertion made 
that um, you just don't understand and that you're homophobic. And so they're going to tell you that you're afraid of homosexuals. Okay, so here's the thing. And we, we could spend a couple days on this subject. Just We could spend a couple of programs on the subject of, of uh, sexual orientation and, and uh, what God's Word has to say. But, but for purposes of our discussion today, let me make it very clear that the Word of God specifically includes homosexual uh, actions as those things which are abhorrent to him. And so scripture clearly takes the position that homosexuality is not allowed uh, in the body of Christ. And I say within the body of Christ in that fashion because there are those out there who, um, you know, who take the position that they can continue to do certain things even though they claim that they're Christians. In fact, we have a, a, a liberal presidential candidate right now, uh, Buttigieg, who uh, purports that Wait, he's what's a, his name? A Buttigieg, Mayor Buttigieg. That's how you pronounce his name? Yeah. The Buttigieg. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, he he purports that uh, that he's a Christian, but that it's okay for him to be a practicing homosexual. Hmm. And this, and, and so, and, and the problem with that is then whenever he does some of his narratives about the things that are going on in, in the world, right. he presents a, a, a false morality. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, the, but so, what, so what's happening is, is that there are elements within our society today who use a tactic in order to try to shut down any conversation about what it is that we're actually dealing with so i'm just wondering um what is your because there's actually two definitions or two ways in which the word phobia itself is used and i'm wondering are you basically the fear of right so so the one that's being used so they get they get kind of combined together when we talk about homosexuality right. and, and, you know, as homophobic meaning to, to be afraid of. To ha- so there's two types, Merriam-Webster. There's an exaggerated fear of and then there's an intolerance or aversion for. Both of those. They're, they're both kind of thrown together. They are thrown together. So um, and an example of this is like, um, like uh, acrophobia. Yeah, the idea is is that if you if you have a fear of it, then you will work that out in an aggression towards. Right. Well, what I'm saying is there's there's so like acrophobia, which is an extreme fear of heights. heights right. Right. But then you have photophobia, which is an inv- which is, is is an aversion. It's a medical condition, which is an aversion to light. So mm-hmm. it's light sensitivity. Right. And so, are you so? Because I think what's being said when people are saying when people are accusing of homophobia, I think what's being said is that people have an aversion to, not that they have an exaggerated fear of. Or are you saying what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is is that the 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 base issue is the assertion that you're afraid of it, and because you're afraid of it, you therefore act out in an aggressive standpoint. Okay. 
that's my understand. That's my understanding, looking at it from a cultural standpoint. So, do you think that the term homophobic homophobic could be used for someone who has an intolerance of it, like the same way that you use could be photophobia? Could be. So, the issue here is the assumption of the first definition of phobia rather than the second definition. Yeah, because. Because the reality of it is... And it's really complex. It, it is a complex issue, and that's why we could spend days on it. But the, the, the central issue is, is that we're looking at it from a, a, a theological perspective. Uh, we have to take into consideration that there are underlying factors that we have to talk about. And the reality of it is, to my knowledge, and I'm, I could be wrong, but I rarely am, to my, to my knowledge... I know of no other issue uh, where people sin, where people identify themselves with that sin. Well, there, no, there is. I don't know. I, that, I have never met anybody who came up to me and said, hi, my name's Mike and I'm a thief. Well, it depends on the culture, right? I hi, mean, they're my name's in culture. Sally and I'm an adulteress. It depends on the culture. <laughs> no, yeah. it, it depends on the culture. You okay, have well, swingers, tough. swingers, yeah. for instance. Okay. Okay. Or a or how about perversion? Sure. Sure. Or how about like even the concept of honor among thieves? There's like within particular cultures, there definitely is that. But the issue, the idea of a mainstream acceptance, I think, is is an issue. So just to be clear, like, are you saying? Sorry, uh, Lucy Brown asked the question: Is it acting out? or avoidance, or deep fear? This is the question I'm clarifying, Lucy Brown. Right. Um, so are you saying that the Bible is, is, or sorry, that Christians are to be, that it is acceptable for Christians to be homophobic in the, in the second definition of intolerance or aversion for? But no. that doesn't apply, but that doesn't imply that they have an exaggerated fear of in the first definition. Yeah, no, no. And that's what we're getting to, and just because it's so voluminous, we'll try to narrow it down a little bit. The scripture... Oh, that's a good one. John Parker notes that those in recovery identify with their sin issue. Scripture... They and, have the and, identity of well, being like an alcoholic, for instance. See, but we're... Yes, yes, John, you're absolutely correct, but there's an issue with that, isn't it? Because in Jesus Christ... Self has died, and we no longer identify with self or with sin, but we identify with Jesus Christ. Right. He's not saying that's good, though. He's just I'm saying, just saying you know, he's I just understand saying that yeah, the alcoholic, for example, yeah, that there or are the people substance that. abuse. Yeah. And that's why I don't believe in 12-step programs, because it places the emphasis in the wrong place. Look, when you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, the old has died and has gone away with. So you may have a... Uh, propensity for a sexual uh, perversion. You may have a propensity towards homosexual feelings. You may have a propensity towards uh, cheating uh, with uh, women. You may be a fornicator. You may be a thief. You just love to, to steal. You may be a gossiper and you can't control yourself. You may be a coveter, which which uh, which is uh, in conjunction with your thievery. I think we're all covetous. Uh, well, my point is, is that in Jesus Christ, all of those things have died. And we are a new creation. 
And our identification is not to be with the sin, but is to be with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's why if you claim to be a disciple of Christ, then you have no business continuing to practice your sin. Yeah. And, and so that person who has these tendencies, regardless of what they are, and I'm throwing homosexuality in with all of the other things that are out there that we the self drives us to, they are not acceptable. And as believers, you have a responsibility when confronted with this issue to say, this is what the Word of God says. And I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. I'm simply telling you, this is what the Word of God says, and it is unacceptable. Right. So you're trying to make the distinction between the being afraid versus being averse. And so I think that that's so do you think it's acceptable to say to would you agree that you are that Christians should be intolerant or averse to homosexuality a christians should not be intolerant towards homosexuality if there is an individual who is a homosexual who claims that they are a believer they need to be taught that their self identification is not biblical and they need to confess their sin. I mean, and, I, and, and you need to do that I would in say, a loving fashion. I would say that we should be personally. Well, t- but once you've made I, that correction, well, there's a. Di- but there's, let me finish, Josh. Let me finish. Once you've made that correction, and you've spoken to them, and you've provided guidance and scripture, what scripture has to say, if then they refuse to accept that and continue in their practice then they are to be removed from the church and have nothing to do with them. Yeah, according to Matthew 18. That's correct. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that there's a difference between homosexuality and homosexuals. So we should be intolerant of homosexuality and averse to it. Yeah, we well, shouldn't I, in be, that definition, yes. We I shouldn't agree. be intolerant of homosexuals. No. Because we don't define them as homosexuals. Right. We define them as humans made in the image of God. Right. They define themselves as homosexuals. That's correct. So that that's that's what I'm saying is that a person is a person is not a homosexual and we don't define them that way any more than I would define you as a heterosexual. A heterosexual cisgendered white male. Um <laughs> definitely, that's definitely. that's not how I define you. That's not how we should define them even if that's how they want to identify themselves. Right, and so there's a there, when when somebody that has this type of issue comes into the body of Christ, there is a specific responsibility within the body of Christ to help educate them uh, what their true position is in Christ, and and what they need to be gravitating towards, which is sanctification uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, if if you guys want to hear more about this subject and have Josh and I talk a little bit more about it then you know, let us know, and this can be one of the things that we can do a, you know, a little series on if you want to. Uh, sexual issues within our culture uh, are going crazy right now um, because, of, uh, you know, because of the changes that we see taking place. But the, the term, and I'll lay this as a foundation for my next term, the, the term that you're homophobic, when you're having a discussion with somebody and they say, well, you're just homophobic. 
What they're really doing is they're doing two things that you need to be careful of. First of all, they're seeking to stymie the discussion and not allow you to speak by, by creating a false narrative uh, in regard to you. And that false narrative is because you are acting out of this fear of whether it's expanded or not, because you're act you're speaking out of this fear of you are immoral. And so they are seeking to create a false narrative of turning the tables on you and and shutting down what you have to say instead of having a, a, a cohesive discussion. This is a tactic that the left uses and continues to use. Everybody uses it. But it's a tactic that, from a biblical standpoint, is inappropriate. Yeah, of course. Everybody uses that tactic. Things should be judged on what they are. I think that, I think that the term homophobic, as applied to heteronormativity, makes total sense. I don't think that the... Because heteronormativity is averse to homosexuality. Of course it is. How, I, However, I, 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 don't, I don't think... I don't that, define myself in that fashion. I don't think that it then being taken and um, adding in the extreme fear of is appropriate. And so well, I think you have to take that into account. Is a person accusing you of being afraid of? That's the question. Well, and, and so then you have to be able to have a discussion with an individual that is making that assertion in what term they're actually using and how it is that they're presenting you. For, because, from that standpoint. Because, because the desire, as I said, is to switch tables and to make you appear to be an immoral person because you're intolerant. Well, I think, I think irrational. In is, our society, that's what's happening. I think irrational is probably what they're looking for more yes. than immoral, right? Yeah. No, no. Well, that, they don't believe in morality. They do believe in morality, but only a morality that they can agree with. Well, I think the highest level of morality is rationality. In, in an atheistic worldview. So I think the idea is is that irrational fear, which is what phobia generally means, is what they're trying to associate you with. Basically, you're an unthinking troglodyte. I'm not going to... I'm, I'm not trying to put people in a box by making this statement, Josh, but clearly you think on a higher level than most of these people. Okay, but... I. You know, it's a it's a child it's a child tactic. Whether they're thinking about it or whether they're doing it while thinking, this is what I'm trying to do. Well, that's it's, the reason why it's, it's you know in we always we fight, we we always fight back by accusing people with um, with platitudes, yeah, yeah, with these attacks that you know attack the person yeah. rather than what they're saying. Yeah. So I just don't think it's a useful word. I think that because it is associated with irrationality colloquially like in the common man's language it's associated more with irrationality than aversion like a logical aversion then it's just not useful because it always sneaks in well many of these in the word and, and many of these things are not rational and they're not productive to a conversation for example xenophobia the definition for xenophobia xenophobia the definition for xenophobia yeah is that you are afraid of individuals from other nations. Okay. 
That's the that's the typical definition. Sure. So where does this discussion come up? Well, predominantly it comes up if you want to have a rational discussion about, for example, immigration. Sure. And you take the position that those who are in this country illegally, which you shouldn't, if I mean, if you're PC, you don't even use that term. What but, term do you, you know, use? Oh, I'm not PC, so I use illegally. No, what's the what's the term? What's the PC term for illegal alien? Oh, undocumented, right? Undocumented, okay. right, right. So if you're going to have this type of a discussion, then again, what the left tries to do is they try to shut down this, the the discussion by saying, by presenting a false narrative that you are immoral because you are xenophobic. Now, when somebody tells me that I'm xenophobic. I say, wait a minute, I protest. I say, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, I am not afraid of Xena Princess Warrior reruns. Right. I'm not. That's why I say Lucy Lawless. I love Lucy Loveless. No, Lucy Lawless. (laughs) I love love Lucy Lawless. You know, she's awesome. They're they're like, like, what? What are you talking about? Do you, so do you find do you find that <laughs> that level of joking to actually work with people though? Sure, sure. Because then they come back and tell me that I'm being ridiculous, which only can and I say, well, but you see, your assertion is ridiculous. So I'm just operating on the same premise that you are. Okay. If you want to have an honest discussion, let's have an honest discussion about what it is that we're dealing with. But to assert to me that somehow I have. I am immoral because I don't agree with your position is ridiculous. But that's not what they're asserting. That is what they're asserting. Again, what they're asserting is that you are irrational and therefore and immoral. And therefore immoral. And okay. I'm, I'm and neither the, irrational right, 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 but, or immoral. But when, you, <laughs> but when you respond with a response that is crazy purposefully, then you are confirming their idea that you are irrational. No, actually what I'm confirming is that I know of a hell of a lot more than they do. Because nine times out of ten, they're going to give me the dare and the headlights look. Why? Because, because they're not they up on pop culture from they, 1990s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they don't even know who Xena the Princess Warrior is and who <laughs> I don't know Lucy that that's Lawless a, I don't is. know that 1990s pop culture is a standard for whether a person is. You have to have a broad breadth and don't, of and knowledge. Don't, and don't get me wrong. As you well know, you, I am incredibly versed yeah, in pop culture from verse, most ages. You know. But I don't think that that's a standard for whether a person is rational or smart. Well, I'm just saying that normally that's how I would approach it because the assertion that they're making is ridiculous and I can then turn the tables on them and clearly say, if you want to have a, if you want to have an objective discussion, I'm more than happy to have an objective discussion. But please do not flip a narrative on me that somehow you're morally superior to me because I don't hold your position and you view me therefore as being irrational or further immoral. Well, they don't, they don't understand morality. So you'd have to establish morality first. And the only way to do that is to take the rug out from underneath them of their rational approach. Well, that's a broader discussion if they're even willing at that point to have a broader discussion. But it's a simple discussion to say, let's explore whether your idea makes sense, Right. That's that's the simple discussion, as opposed to make fun of them. It's a simpler discussion to say, so what you're saying is you think that I'm being irrational. Well, let's let's talk about whether that makes sense. Yes, that's a good approach, Josh. 
<laughs> Thanks. Not necessarily an approach I would take, but a good approach. I look for the most useful approach. That so. bless you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's, we've only got, I don't know that we can do this in five minutes. All right. Well. Um, but let me just, well, okay. So what I wanted to talk about, and maybe we can talk more about it tomorrow or tomorrow. <laughs> Next week. Sure. Uh, maybe we can talk a little more about it next week. But this week, so in in What's Up With That, we'll lay the foundation. Go ahead. We'll lay, <laughs> we'll lay the foundation for What's Up With That. Okay. Um, this week, a, uh, a pastor mm. who was... We're just going to hit all the high notes. Yeah, yeah, a pastor. <laughs> I told people sit down. This is going to be a wild ride. Yeah, uh, a, a pastor who was a uh, on a pastoral staff, and he, my understanding is, is he was in charge of uh, mental health and those type of issues. Yep. within the congregation, and so so he would counsel people that had depression and and various other things. Um, he uh, committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And so, the my first reaction to that, of course, is is that's really sad. But what did I say earlier? I said those who are in positions of teaching and authority within the church are held to a higher standard. And what transpired here is way more then he just committed suicide. Yep. What transpired here is that there was a un... I don't think he thought this through. I don't think he, th- he realized what he was doing. But, but there was... Th- basically, it, through his actions, he moved the goalpost, as it were. The goalpost for what? For the goalpost for uh, believers. Mm-hmm. The goalposts for those who are disciples of Christ and who are now in Christ. So foundationally, what do we understand about our position in Christ? Y'all who have been with me for a while, you would know that what I would say is, yourself is dead. Mm-hmm. And your identification is no longer with yourself and the trauma that comes about from identifying self. You are to identify with Jesus Christ. And you are to live to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And the reason why we live to bring glory to Jesus Christ is because he affords us the power and the ability to overcome self. Because we no longer identify with self. And when a person identifies then with their particular issue um, and they become powerless within that issue, then they are, um, they are presenting a message of uh, a false narrative and, and, and one that is a defeatist to other believers. So you can never really overcome the issues that are tied to self in your life um, because you have no power over those. 
And I'm here to tell you, and we can discuss this more next week, but I'm here to tell you today that is a false narrative and is not uh, of God. I think, so I know the church at large seems to be dealing with this, let's call it carefully, some might call it that, um, I think the issue is, well, okay. I think the issue is not that he killed himself. Um, that's not good. Um, but I also am not a Roman Catholic. I think that God can forgive. Um, that being said, I say that because, you know, killing is a cardinal, or killing yourself is a cardinal sin in Roman Catholicism and, you You're know. not allowed to be buried within the church. Yeah, and, and so on and so forth. Yes, yes, um, so I think that God can forgive. I think the issue is what he said before he died, which is that loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts, and that, but, but that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and, and comfort. Um, That's pathetic. I think that that, when we talk about moving the goalpost, I think that that... Coming was, from a minister of the gospel of Christ, that is pathetic. I think that that's what moved the goalposts. Yeah. And I think that that's yeah. it. At that point, you're preaching a different gospel. The gospel of Jesus not being, um, not providing victory for you. Yeah. Now, whether you accept the victory is another issue. I think you can say that, um, I think you can say that it's a, that being in Christ uh, has, long-term application and long-term invested solutions. So, yes, Jesus doesn't always flip a light switch for you. That's true. That's true. Um, and so if you're thinking of Christ as a cure, where you take a pill and you're magically, um, the, the term in theology is sanctified, right. if, where you are magically 100% sanctified immediately and you are, you're just immediately cleansed, that doesn't always happen. No. It does happen, though. Yes. Um, it does happen where those thoughts just go away or that addiction just goes away or whatever, right? But, um, but generally, that is a long-term process. Um, and maybe as ministers and as institutions that create ministers, if there really is such a thing, um, there needs to be a better equipping for understanding that. I, I agree um, with you 100% in regard to that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the issues that, uh, which is part of the reason why we've designed our program the way we have for our young people who want to become elders. In the here church, at ABF, yeah. Here, here at ABF. Um, you know, when you go to a seminary, they don't, you know, I mean, you may take one or two classes about mental health type issues, but but you don't, their, their focus is purely on theology. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Well, I, from what I've seen in degree programs, that, that still remains the case, and the reality of it is, is they tell you, you know... <laughs> You, you want our degree, you take our program, and this is our program. Heavy emphasis on theology. But in order for a minister to be effective, a pastor to be effective, you need, by just definition of, of your church, you need to have a background in, in the, at the very least, social, uh, social science or sociology. 
you need to understand how people receive information, the things that are pulling at them and affecting them, how it is that those things affect how they live things out. Well, you definitely need to study those things. Yes, I, you do. I don't know that you need, um, So, and I don't I know do. that you're saying this, yeah, but I don't know that you need any sort of academic background. You need to be it perceptive. Helps. It helps. But, but the point here is that this individual... Certainly the disciples didn't have that. So no, but they were coming from a, a different perspective than what we're dealing with. So um, I here's the deal. And like I said, we can continue this discussion. You can let us know uh, if you'd like to continue this discussion. The reality of it is, is that um, and you talked about this in your message, Josh. When you talked and, and you did you put it you put it really eloquently you 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 talked about the fact. <laughs> well, I that, hope so. Someone's going to find it and <laughs> dig it up and accuse me with it. You, I'm sure. You you talked about the fact that in life, um, the the we see things clearly for a bit and then a fog rolls in mm, mm-hmm. and we lose our way, and we need to pray that that fog will lift or that we'll be able to have clarity in how we step forward. And, and this is the dilemma that the church faces in regard to many of the issues that we've talked about that have to do with self. And certainly fighting depression is one of those issues because depression, even if it's, if it's chemically induced, then it's a little bit different and you can learn how to protect yourself if it's chemically induced. But if it's, if it's just because of your mental perspective on things, um, depression is uh, a an inappropriate focus upon self. Yeah, it's a it's a it's something to be repented of in your thought life. Now, I want to be clear: that is not to say that people don't have real issues. Oh, they, don't, don't I know it? The yeah. mental health. There is a mental health uh, crisis. There's a true mental health crisis going all the way back to the Garden of Eden when yes. we started playing, or when we started placing inappropriate focuses on things. And we are sick of the mind. We have neurosis, but it is something that it is connected to our thought life, and it is an inappropriate focus, like anxiety, for instance. It's an inappropriate focus on the things that you can't control when your focus really should be on the fact of God's control. Yes. Now, whether that is, again, whether that's a switch or whether that's something that you learn and then have to re-up through scripture, prayer, and the local body, um, you know, God can certainly clear the fog and give you like an immediate perception, but generally he prefers to work through scripture, the body, and prayer. Um, and doctrine, the holy right doctrine. And so I think next week what we'll do is we'll take this up and we'll further our discussion from the standpoint that these are the things that the believer needs to focus on then. And yes, when your focus is upon Jesus Christ because you recognize that sin is now dead and you are alive to Christ as a new creation, then you have the ability to be victorious in Christ. But there are mechanisms that can help you uh, to be able to do that when that fog rolls in. The thing that I really dislike about his, his statement, the damaging thing, is the implication that, Christ, um, that Christ's 
victory in his life only goes so far right. as his mental health. It was insufficient. Exactly. And he yeah. didn't say it was insufficient, but he didn't say it because it he 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 implied it but but moved this is where we talk about moving the goalposts. He implied it and he didn't say that Christ neglected to save him in this way. He basically said that what Christ does is to comfort us when we when when our identity includes these things. So I want to make clear the issue that I have with him isn't even that he took his life. The issue that I have with him is what he said about Jesus, which is essentially that Jesus um, only has so much power. Right, right. And, and that would be my issue as well, that, again, our responsibility as believers is to understand, first of all, so when we, when we start out on this process where we, um, we repent of those things which are uh, keeping us from God and his holiness, part of that repent process is to deal with these types of issues in our lives. Well, and you have to repent of the narrative. And this is when you do Christian counseling, when you do biblical counseling, right, not right. just Christian counseling, but when you apply what the Bible teaches, you have to teach people to step outside the narrative of accepting identification with anything other than Christ. Yes. I so agree. to say that you are a person who struggles with anxiety is way different than saying that you are a person who has anxiety. Yeah. Or yeah. you are a person who struggles with same-sex attraction is way different than saying that you are a gay Christian. Right, which goes know. back to the whole deal of, you know, if you're a thief or you're an yeah. adulterer. So at some point you, know, you have to see the difference between what your identity is and how you identify. And what I think what so many pastors are leaning towards and so many people as they go into the field, this is, you know, one pastor coming to the news, but you have a lot of church workers who are living in the identification with their inappropriate focus. Yes. So they're living in, for instance, um, anxiety and fear. Um, you know, they're living in, in burnout and that's how their, that's how their actual identity is but they identify as Christians. So they're saying, I'm a Christian, but Christ only goes so far as their anxiety, which is what they really live in. Yeah, right, right. right. That's their true identity. And, and they, what, they and, have to go and they have to repent of that. And what we're saying is that Scripture is very clear that Jesus goes all the way. All the way. All now, the way. Now, getting there and giving him all of yourself can be a process. Well, yes, that's part of the sanctification process. It's part of the process that we learn as we mature. But it starts out first with repentance. It starts out with understanding positionally who we are in Christ. And then it starts out with our desire to bring glory and praise and to identify with Christ rather than those things which would pull us down. Yeah. And we're going to close uh, uh, Truth Time today with that. And uh, next week we'll pick it up where we left off. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, if you desire to do so. Let us know. Drop us a note. Uh, talk to either Josh or I personally. Let us know if you want to continue this discussion in regard to uh, uh, homosexuality and or... You want to and uh, suicide, sweet and yeah, and suicide. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you don't have to agree with us either. 
That's the thing. You don't have to agree with us. You have to be willing to have a conversation. And I think that that's what it comes down to. Um, so if you want to have a conversation about it and you want to, and you have questions and dissenting opinions, um, but you want to ask two people who are in ministry and have a lot of background with these things, then, you know, talk to us. You are absolutely gracious. Yeah. I, I agree that you can disagree with us. Okay. But disagree at your own peril. Okay. <laughs> Very inviting invitation. Yes, it is. Okay. So if you're someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we want to help you. Please check out the help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember, we're always open to questions. Pastor Monty's ready and waiting to deliver some sage advice and insight, so don't be shy. And um, remember that Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance ABS web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. Uh, if you want to be part of what we're doing here at the VRN, you can join the Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page, and you'll get access to all of our shows, including Culture and Sanity, The Upper Story, and Cross-Examination, which is in two weeks where we'll be talking about creation and evolution and um, its you know, effect on the church and, and so on and so forth. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our networking shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. You can head over to abfpdx.org and click the Donate tab. Um, even a $1 a month will be put to good use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's all right. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast, which you can always find on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. Also, I want to mention that we just opened up uh, several other ways to donate and um, give to the church and this ministry um, on your favorite you know, apps for doing that. So like Venmo and Cash App and things like that, you can find us. So we'll be giving you more information on that. Take a second to visit the group page so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. Remember that content is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. And we will see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.